Man, what a sweet service already. This morning we're reading from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you, that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus, I will be remembered throughout all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Man, I could stand and sing for the next 24 hours if it's like that, man. Phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal worship. Uh, Just want to say a thanks to the praise team, man, for all that you guys do. Thank you, guys. And man, it's just a it's it really is a a honor for me and a privilege to be able to stand up here um, to be able to. Uh, look at God's word together, celebrate uh, what's happened in the lives of several students. You heard Mia's story. Uh, There were uh, just countless other stories very similar to that when we would get in church group devotion time at night at about nine o'clock and people would just begin sharing about what God is doing in their lives. And man, just to hear uh, what teenagers face and are going through, but yet hear what God is doing in them uh, is just a phenomenal thing. So man, such a good week that we had a couple of weeks ago uh, in Caswell. Um, God did some pretty amazing stuff. Uh, the, the most amazing of which is that three uh, people who came with us gave their lives to Christ. And we are so thankful for God saving them. One of which 
I'll share with you. Uh, it, she came um, to to just visit with us one night. Um, she she's dating one of our one of our leaders. She came just to visit one night and just going to visit him on Thursday night and like came into worship and God saved her that night. So how cool is it that she was just planning on coming to show up and then God showed up to her and revealed Himself to her and now she's a child of God and just so grateful for that. We experienced the presence of God in a very real and tangible uh, way uh, that was so phenomenal during that week. Uh, we had students who felt called to ministry and we're thankful for that. We're following up with them and kind of seeing what that is going to do for their lives. Um, a group, it was phenomenal to see a group who honestly going down there <clears throat> didn't know each other very well. It wouldn't let the, they didn't like each other. They just didn't know each other very well. And, um, and they, they were, you kind of tell that people would be looking at each other and they'd be like, are they part of our youth group? And they're like, yeah, you know, um, they, they are. And by the end of the week, we got to experience uh, them calling each other family and not just saying you're part of our group, but we really feel like you're family. So that was just a phenomenal thing. And just to see God do so much more. It was such a great week uh, that we had two weeks ago at camp. And uh, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to have gone. Uh, and to see what God did uh, that week. I'm thankful to uh, the leaders that got to go, uh, my, my chaperones, my leaders. If you went as a leader, would you just stand? Uh, we had several in the first service and several. I know we have some because I see two of y'all right there. Anybody else? Kathy, there we go. Yeah, could you give the guys a hand? Um, they gave up the comforts of home to have the comforts of smell and uh and and at least if you were in the boys barracks like shorts just laying in the shower i still don't understand that but okay um so uh, but no they did a phenomenal job um just ministering to to our teenagers and just thankful for you guys for everything that you did thankful for your prayers uh back here we we could tell that god was really moving through you praying for us as many of you life groups were, were, were praying that god would move down there and many of you maybe were praying over just seeing us uh seeing the pictures on facebook or maybe you just knew we were going we're thankful and i'm grateful uh, for your prayers and for everything that we got to experience that week. And now we're, we're back, and this morning we're going to be looking at kind of the theme of Caswell All Week. The theme was living on mission, <clears throat> living on mission, being sent to tell God's story, being sent to tell God's story through uh, what he's doing in your life. All week we saw um, that they were talking about how God's story of redemption, of, of creating new people in Christ, how that fits into your personal story in your life here in Marion or Old Ford or, or, or wherever you may live. And what we saw is that God has a desire to use you. God wants to use you for his story, for his mission. The creator of the universe, the God who spoke this world into existence, desires to use each one of you sitting in this room this morning. You may uh, look around and see other people and you say, man, I, I see how God could use them. I see how God uses them, but I don't, I don't see how God could use uh, me. Maybe, I'm, maybe you feel like you're too far gone for God to save you or even for God to, to, to use you for his mission, but you're not. If you're sitting in here this morning on the sound of my voice, God has a plan for your life and he's got a purpose to set you apart, to, to live, to breathe, to serve God for everything that he desires for you to do. We learned this past week that we're as part of God's story. What is God's story? God's story 
is to tell the world of the redeeming work of Jesus, what he did on the cross for us, and what he does every day in and through us. You see, it's easy, for me at least, and I imagine it's easy for you to get in this mindset where every day kind of seems redundant. You know, you wake up, you go to work, you go to school, maybe you do both, um, and and you wake up and you do whatever it is you do, and every day you kind of wake up and every day seems like the same old day. Just woke up, did the same things I did yesterday, same thing I did yesterday, and I think part of the reason why it gets that way is because we lose sight of the glorious gospel that Jesus came to earth as a form of a human, still being God to save us out of the dirtiness of our sin. And transform our lives so that we live to tell the world about what he's doing. I I challenged the students. I said, what if you woke up every single day with the mindset not to just get through school? Or in this case, not to just get through school, get through work or, 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 or get through whatever. What if you woke up with the mindset every day that you realize because you're a child of God, I have woken up this morning with a world-changing, eternity-altering message to share with anyone I come into contact with. That would give every single day that you wake up and it feels like the same old day, that would give it purpose. That would give it the greatest meaning you could possibly have. If you woke up every single day and thought, man, in my family, in my work, in school, on my sports teams, the the teams that I coach, anything that you do, any sphere of influence that you have, you realize that you are an agent of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you woke up every day realizing, man, my purpose today is not to get through work. My purpose today is through my job, through school, to tell the world of what Jesus has done for me and what he's doing in me. It's the same concept of of if you somehow developed this um, cure for every single disease, all right? And you just, I've I've heard a pastor use this before, and you just create it in your basement, and all of a sudden, like, it cures everything in the world. Would you just leave it every single morning and like put it on your nightstand and say, I'll, I'll just worry about that tomorrow. No, you're going to go out and you're going to share with everybody. I've got something that will cure anything that ails you. Anything, any disease you have, anything that's going on, I've got something that will fix it. Every single day we wake up, we have something that will not only fix somebody's disease or fix somebody's illness, but will change somebody's eternity and free them from the sin that, that has them chained, free them from whatever it is that has them down, free them so that they would not only know Jesus, but they would spend eternity with him in heaven. We have that message. You see, church, we weren't saved and redeemed to come into worship and worship like we just did to then leave and wait and do it again next week. We were saved and redeemed to be sent out to tell the world of what God has done in us and what he's doing in us. You see, God is a sending God. God is a sending God who who sends, in the Old Testament, his prophets, then sent Jesus to die for us and be raised so that we could have eternal life. And then he sent his disciples. And ultimately, if you're a child of God, he has sent you to tell the world his message. You see, we have a a gospel far too great and a mission far too urgent to sit and wait for someone else to do something with it. We have a gospel too great and a mission far too urgent to wait for something just to happen with it. Why? Because that gospel is that Jesus saved us when we didn't need saving and that God is doing a work in us when we don't deserve it. And we... My desire this morning is that you leave out of here saying, man, I want to tell people about this sending God because he did something in me and I want to let people know about what he can do for them.
So let's turn to the book of Exodus. I'm already sweating up here. Let's turn to the book of Exodus. And uh, look at Exodus 3. This morning we're going to see that God is a sending God. We're sent because God ultimately was a sending God. As James read for us, Exodus 3, before we jump into that particular passage, uh, give you a little background of of why we are where we are. Uh, Moses was once a kind of a prince in Egypt, and he was adopted by the Pharaoh's uh, daughter. And, and then he, he is out one day, and he sees an Egyptian man just beating down this Hebrew guy, so he wants to go do something about it, so he goes and kills the Egyptian. Well, uh, a couple of days later, he, he's, he's out and about, and two Hebrews are fighting, and they kind of look at him and say, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses realized, man, I'm in trouble. If I get caught, then they're going to they're gonna kill me. So he just flees. He flees to Midian where he meets the priest of Midian, Jethro, and he marries one of his daughters. And that's where we pick up in this passage. He is on the backside of a desert keeping the sheep for his father-in-law. If you're in your 60s and still living with your in-laws, that's a failure, okay? Like that's something that you probably shouldn't shoot for. But the thing is, Moses is there and he's keeping the sheep of his father-in-law, something he didn't want to do. But something that he's doing, something that God God is preparing him for what he's about to do. And he's out there and he's keeping these sheep. And the angel of the Lord, which just signifies God, shows up to him through a burning bush. What does Moses see? He sees a bush that is burning, but yet it's not consumed. Moses sees a bush that's burning, yet it's not burning up. And verse 3 has always made me laugh. When we read it, uh, we read that Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. That sounds kind of boring, right? Moses probably looked and said, what is going on over there? My goodness, that thing's not burning up. What's happening? All right, he probably looks at that and he's like, this is crazy. This, this bush is burning, but yet it's not being consumed. And he starts to approach it. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Where you're standing is holy ground. You need to remove your sandals if you're going to approach me. God tells Moses who he is. He says, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And what does it say Moses did? It says he was, a, he was afraid. He got uncomfortable because he realized in his sinful state as a human being, he was approaching a holy, perfect God. And that made him uncomfortable because the holiness of God and our sinfulness don't mesh. They actually clash. God is holy and perfect, and yet we are sinful and not perfect. We're going to see in a few minutes what makes this so great. So Moses approaches in the burning bush, and then God speaks to him through it. God speaks to him through it in verse 7. It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Two things here. God has seen the affliction of his people, and God has heard their cry. That's very, very, very important for us to get. God has seen the affliction of his people and he's heard their cry. And what does he say? He's going to come do something about it. He sees that the Egyptians have enslaved his people and he wants to come rescue them out of what is uh, enslaving them. We need to understand that God isn't a God who sits up in heaven and says, man, you're down here suffering and you're broken and you're dealing with some of the worst stuff. And I'm just going to let you stay there because I don't like you. 
That's not our God at all. Our God is a God who says, yeah, I hear your suffering and I see your affliction and I'm going to come do something about it. And many of you may be sitting here this morning and you're like, man, like I've been broken because of a relationship. I worry. I'm constantly in fear. Nothing seems to be right. Understand this. God hears your cry. God hears your cry, not only hears it, but he sees your affliction. And ultimately, by the end, we'll see that he has come to do something about it. God hears your cry. David, the, the, the great king of Israel, said this in Psalm 116. It says, I love the Lord because he heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. David said, I love the Lord because he heard my cry. Not only did he hear it, when this says, because he inclined his ear, that literally means God like bent down on his knees and said, David, I can hear you. I can hear you. I'm reaching down just like a, just like a father. If his child has fallen, might reach down to pick up his son. And he condescends so that his son can then ascend up to him. God, in the same way, hears our cry and doesn't just leave us hanging there. God hears our cry and does something about it. You see, God is for suffering people. God is not against suffering people. God is interested in suffering people. It says, I've come down to deliver. This is God's character. God's character is a God who doesn't just stay uh, on his throne and say, figure it out. God's character says, I will come down myself. And deliver you from the worst pain, deliver you from the worst anguish, deliver you from fear, deliver you from anxiety. I will come down myself and deliver you. You see, this is what makes Christianity so much different than every other religion in the entire world. Every other religion says, hey, you've got to work your way up to God so that God will finally say, hey, you're accepted. Christianity says, no, you won't be accepted, so I'll come down and do what I've got to do so that then I can take you in. Because there's nothing you can do that's going to make you acceptable. But guess what? Jesus said, I will come down and do what it takes so that you can then be acceptable to me. That's what makes Christianity so different. But what is God, who is about to send Moses, what is God going to deliver his people from? The Egyptians. Those people who who have made the Israelites their slaves. Where is he going to deliver them to? We see that in verse um, 8, I believe it is. We see it in verse 8 that he's going to deliver them and bring them up to the land that is good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land uh, to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hittites, Jebusites. Wow. Um, he's going to deliver them into a land that is vibrant, into a land full of, that is flourishing, into a land that they can live, otherwise known as the promised land. God is not only going to deliver them out of the hand of the people that has them enslaved, he's going to deliver them to a much greater, much better place. Verse 10 tells us God's method of deliverance. What does he do? He sends Moses. God sends Moses to deliver his people. God is a sending God. He sends Moses. And let's not get this mindset that, man, of course he'll send Moses because Moses is awesome, right? He ended up writing the Ten Commandments later, and Moses was this great prophet. And, like, there's no way that I could uh, be a world-changing agent like Moses uh, was. But ultimately, we'll see that Moses questioned who he was. Moses looks at God and says, God, who am I? Say, God, who am I that I should go? God, who am I that I should go deliver the people out of Israel? See, here's the thing. If God has redeemed you and saved you from your sin, you are more 
If you're a child of God, you are more than qualified to tell someone of the good news of Jesus. Amen. Because God is a sending God. We, we, we can't look and say, God, I'm so inadequate. <clears throat> God, I don't, I don't talk well in front of people. I don't know exactly what to say, God. I, I'm, just, I'm just inadequate to like, be used uh, by you. But we've got to realize something. Moses, he had his own, he had his own inabilities. Moses uh, uh, was said to have had a speech impediment. So how's he going to talk in front of thousands of people? Moses had his own personal failures. He killed an Egyptian and then he had fled to a desert to only stay there for a lot of years. Moses also had personal doubt. He said, God, who am I? Uh, who am I? I'm just the guy who's watching the sheep of his father-in-law. How am I going to be used, God? God, who am I? But look at what God says. God looks at Moses and he says, I will be with you. I will be with you. This is one of the greatest comforts in all of Scripture. He doesn't say, hey, Moses, you just close your eyes and say seven times to yourself, I am awesome, I am awesome, and keep going and try to tell yourself that you're so good and maybe, maybe eventually you'll talk yourself into being so good. No, God didn't say that. God didn't say, hey, Moses, you're awesome. I gave you all these abilities, so you just go do it. No, God looks at Moses, who am I, and says, I will be with you. That changes the game because God didn't answer Moses' question the way Moses thought. He said, I will be with you despite your inability, despite your imperfection, despite what you think you cannot do. I am with you. God isn't looking for your ability or my ability. He's looking for our obedience. God isn't looking for us to be able to say, man, God, I've got something for you. God says, no, as a matter of fact, uh, I've got something for you. You go and do what I say, and despite your inability, guess what? I will give you the power. I will be your identity. I will give you what you need. I've heard a pastor say this, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. If you're a Christian, the fact that you're a child of God gives you extraordinary value and worth. You have God's identity, not your own. Moses says this. He said, if I go, who am I going to tell has sent me to them? So Moses not only says, God, who am I that I should go? He says, all right, God, so you just told me, you said you'll be with me. But then who are you? God, who are you that, that, that you should tell me this? Or God, who am I going to say has sent me to them? And listen to what God says. God says, I Many times our translations may say, I am he, or, or say uh, what one of the, I think maybe verse 12 says, I am who I am. This literally just says, I am. It's the verb meaning to be. To be, it literally means that God has no beginning or has no end. Just like Moses saw God through the, through the bush that was burning, yet it wasn't being consumed. Usually fire, what needs fuel to keep going, but that fire was self-sustaining. That fire didn't need anything else to keep it going. It needed no extra fuel. God is a God who always has been, who is right now, and who always will be. And that's the God who was talking to Moses, and that's the God who sent Moses. And ultimately, if you're a child of God, that's the God who sends you. He is the source, this is speaking of God, the source that gives life to everything else. He holds it all together now, and he will be there when it all ends. How comforting. As we sung this morning, the rock won't move. That the God we serve is a God who never changes. 
Though your circumstances change and things may get worse, those circumstances get better. Though you're in a place in your life where you're worried or you're in fear, God never changes. He never does. So though you may fear of what's about to happen in your life or maybe a diagnosis that you're afraid of or maybe one you've already heard, that still doesn't change the fact that God is who he is and God will incline his ear to your cry. He's a self-sustaining God. He never changes. He's, He's unshakable. He's beyond our comprehension. He's an indescribable God. He is unmatched. He is I am. Jesus would say the same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane. The soldiers are approaching him, and um, they say, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus just simply says, I am. And what happens? About 300 just big guards who have been trained for battle, they fall straight to their face because they were in the presence of I am. That's the same God who, if you're a follower of Christ, lives in you and is sending you out to tell the world about his message. You see, Moses wasn't resting on his own identity. God, I'm a failure. God, you're trying to send me, but I just can't do it. Moses was resting on God's identity. And though he thought he was a failure, he understood that his failures were not his identity. Instead, the God who was sending him was his identity. So he went. He went and did it. And over the, over the next few chapters of Exodus, what do we see? Uh, we see some plagues that kind of come up. And we see Moses go back to... Pharaoh and say kind of the the words we all know, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh doesn't do it. And and finally it gets to this point. And uh, there's going to be the last plague, the, the, the death of the firstborn. And we see in Exodus 12, the Passover. And what happens with the Passover? Uh, Moses looks at the people of Israel after he's doubted himself and then trusted in God and he's gone back to try to deliver his people. He looks at the people of Israel and he says this. He says, what you need to do is you need to take a lamb. A lamb that's unblemished, a lamb that, that doesn't have a, an imperfection on it. You need to slaughter that lamb and you need, to take the, you need to take the blood of that lamb and you need to paint it over the doorpost of your home. So that tonight, when the death angel is passing over Egypt, if there is blood over the doorpost of your home, that death angel will pass over and you will be saved because you trusted that that blood will save you from impending death. And what happens? It gets to that point in Exodus 12. And the death angel comes through there. And all of Israel, or at least Israel, is saved. And Moses begins to lead them out of Egypt in something we know as the Exodus. He leads them out of Egypt because they understood that the blood that was over their doorpost ultimately had saved them from their death. And some, maybe 1,200 years later, there would be another one who would come to deliver people from the bondage except this time it wasn't the bondage of slavery it was the bondage of sin jesus would come on to the scene and he would go to a cross and he would die not because he had done anything wrong but because we had and he would go and he would hang on a cross and and there was blood that was shed by him and it was just it it, it would just fall its way down that cross so that those of us who would believe that Jesus died on the cross for us so that we could have forgiveness so that we could have eternity with God we trusted in that blood just as the Israelites did we then would be saved and Jesus would hang there in agony and not just say, hey, here's the way that you get to God. But instead, Jesus said, I will become the way that you can get to know the Father. I will become the way that you will get to know the I am because I will give my life so that you can then have 
yours. Lest we think that Jesus, like this says in Exodus 3, doesn't, doesn't know our sufferings. Hebrews 4, 15 says he knows how we suffer in every single way. You see, Jesus suffered. In every single way that we could suffer, he was abandoned. He lost his friends. He did, in his greatest moment of need, people left him, yet he still carried through with his message. In the same way the Israelites were once enslaved to the Egyptians, but, once, but then freed by a deliverer, Jesus would come and he would give his life and die for us so that we could then be freed from sin. Just as God promised the Israelites a land that was beautiful, the promised land flowing with milk and honey, so God promises a place much better for his children. And we see that in Revelation 21, where there'll be a place of no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more anxiety, no more fear, because God is making all things new. And that same God who saved the Israelites from Egypt is the same God who desires to save you if you don't know him this morning. He's the same God who is sending you, follower of Christ, out to tell the world about what he's done for you and in you. So what is this passage showing us? A couple of things. One, Jesus came to earth to show you to become the way to know him. He understood that... Sin had caused this divide between us and God, and he came to this earth to bridge that divide and say, you know what, there's no way you can get across it, so I will become that divide. And those who trust in me, those who believe in me, those who give their lives to me because they trust in what I've done for them, they'll then not only be saved, they'll then not only be free from sin, they'll spend eternity with me in the place Revelation 21 promises. Others of you, you know Jesus. You've been redeemed. You are, you are saved. You need to, to grasp this morning that you are a sent vessel. Just as Moses was sent to his people to save them from the hand of the Egyptians, you are sent all over McDowell County, all over the state, all over the world to tell people about what Jesus has done for you and in you. For some of you, it starts at home. It starts with sharing, sharing what Jesus is doing in you to your husband or your wife. Or your, your kids. Or maybe it's a friend or a brother or a sister or a co-worker. Jesus' last words that he gave his disciples were, Go. Go and tell people about what I have done. As we were leaving uh, camp this past, or a couple weeks ago, we were leaving on a Saturday morning, and um, we stopped right outside of Castle to, to get some gas in our vehicles. And one of those uh, vans... We started pumping gas, and somebody realized that just right where you kind of put the pump in, it was just leaking, like profusely, like a lot of gas was coming out of there. So we stopped and, and kind of th- thought to ourselves, okay, what do we do? We made a couple calls. We decided, like most people do, to just put duct tape on it. Or let's see if duct tape will work. So we duct tape it, and usually duct tape fixes it. Well, it only partially fixed it. It still started leaking. So we were kind of thinking, what do we do? We, we've got to have this vehicle because it hauls 15 people. Um, so a lady was, was pumping gas right beside us. She said, hey, go uptown and get this guy. He's right in town. He does all the work around here, and he'll fix it. So we did. Uh, three of us went up there, and we go up there, and it's this garage. And this guy walks out, and he's about six foot four, um, about six foot four across. And he just kind of looks at me, and I'm thinking, oh, this is great, man. So I, w- I walk up to him, and I'm like, hey, man, could you, we just called a minute ago, and, and, and 
could you fix our van? He said, yeah, pull it on in here. And uh, so, so we did. And he looks and he says, man, I don't, this may not be a real quick job. I think we might have to drop the tank. And I don't know what that means, but I just think it means it's going to take a long time, you know. And, uh, and he, I was just thinking, okay. So in my mind, I'm already thinking, how are we going to get kids back? What's going on? And his son, who was working for him, said, just give me a second. Let me see if I can take this little hose off. And he goes over there to it, and about two minutes later, he comes back, and there's about an 18-inch hose that is dry-rotted completely. So that's why gas is flowing through it. And they said, let's go find one, and we'll get you going. So about two and a half hours later, they, they found one, put it back on. And I go in to pay, and this guy's name's Mark. <clears throat> and I go in to pay, and uh, Mark's sitting down, kind of, you know, a real nice guy, but just kind of a rough guy, you know, kind of rough around the edges kind of fella. And um, I'm handing him my card. I'm like, here, go ahead and do this. And he kind of looks, and he says, so what church are y'all with? And I, I told him, what, what are y'all doing down here? And I told him we're at camp. And, and he's, he just kind of, he looks at me for a second, and I don't know what he's thinking. I'm like, man, I'm trying to go. And he said, uh, so what made you want to be a preacher? I thought, okay, so all week we've been talking about living on mission, being sent for God, being sent for Christ. God, you are, you are, you are not only sending me here, but he just opened a door to hear much more than he expected, okay? So um, he said, what caused you to be a preacher? And I was like, well, man, you know, I'm going to tell you. From the age of about 17 to 21, I was just a horrible person. So I, I, I lived for myself. I lived to only please me. I did what I wanted to do and didn't want anybody to tell me any different. I was a bad person until about the age of 21. And though, I may, though at age 9 I may be given my life to Christ, uh, at age 21, God really got a hold of me and began showing me that all that stuff that you're living for, that stuff's going to pass away. All that stuff that you're living for, it's temporary. But the one thing that you need is me in your life. And God, at about 21 or 22, just radically changed my life. And I began sharing that with him. I really wasn't sharing a call to ministry. I was sharing the gospel and my testimony in that. And Mark, this big six foot four, rough around the edges guy, sitting behind his desk, and he just starts getting tears just welling up in his eyes. And he says, Man, he said, I used to be a deacon in our church right down the road. He said, For one reason or another, I just kind of fell out. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do anymore. And I looked and I asked this question. I said, Mark, what would it take for you? Because he had professed knowing Jesus. I said, what would it take for you to get right with God? And he looked at me and he said, I'm not sure. And I shared, well, you, know, you understand that Jesus has done everything necessary for you to know him. He was like, I get that. I, just, I don't know what it's going to take for me to get right with him now. And I said, well, what, what do you need? He said, I think I just need some time. I think I need some more time because I want to do what's right, but I, I, just, I don't know if I can right now. So I would ask all of you just to be praying for Mark, for one. But two, the same question that I ask Mark is the same question I want to ask you this morning. Whether you are a follower of Christ, whether you don't know him, maybe you're struggling in sin right now, what will it take for Christ to change you? All he says is, look, come unto me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There's nothing that you have to strive for or to try to be for God to accept you. Just simply understanding that there's nothing you can do for God to accept you, but Jesus has done it all. What will it take for Christ to begin working in your life? Maybe this morning you don't know Jesus. You're sitting here and you know that apart from him, you would not spend eternity with him if you were to go right now. What would it take 
Maybe you're like Mark and you think, man, I'm far too gone. There's nothing that, I, that, that like God would do to accept me right now. If you have a pulse, God is not done with you yet. If you are alive, God has a plan for your life. And for some of you, it may be receiving him for the first time today. For some of you, it may be that right now you're a follower of Christ, but God is calling out sin. And this whole sermon, uh, God has been calling out something that you're doing that keeps you from him. And he's saying you need to repent from that, turn away from it, walk away from that thing. Because I've not saved you to live in sin. I've saved you so that you can be freed from sin. You need to do that. For some of you, it may just be in your job or when school starts in a month or two, uh, to, to boldly take a stand for what God has done in your life, for what he's doing in your life. Because ultimately, God is a sending God who, who not only sent his son Jesus, but who sends each one of you out to begin telling the world about what he's done and what he's doing in you. So this morning, I'd like for us to go into a time of prayer. And as you bow your head with your... Uh, eyes closed. <clears throat> As we pray, I, I just want you to to think on the fact that God is is a God who sends you out if you're a follower of Christ. Think for a moment who is one or maybe two people that you know as a believer sitting here, there's one person or there maybe you have five already that you need to go Maybe today, this week, there's no time to waste because we have a gospel too great and a mission too urgent to wait. Who's a person that you need to share the gospel with today, this week? Wow, God, to bring that to your mind. What's a sin maybe you need to, to repent from? Ask God to forgive you and, and turn away from that thing. And lastly, before I pray, if you don't know Christ... And you want to know him this morning. You're like, I want to know more about what it means to know him. And in a moment, as, as, as we're leaving, uh, I'm just going to hang out up front. And you can come up and you can talk about what that looks like. Jesus, thank you so much for loving us, for caring for us. God, thank you for being a sending God who didn't try to make us figure things out on our own. But ultimately, you became the way that we can know you. God, I pray for the people... In here this morning or this afternoon now, God, who are sent out of here, I pray that you would empower them, not in their ability, but in who you are and what you've done in their life. I pray that as you're bringing to mind people we need to share your message with, Jesus, that you would give us boldness to take those opportunities. Pray for those who are, who are asking forgiveness of sin right now, who need to repent from a, a lifestyle they're in, God, that you would uh, give them the strength. Maybe they need to confess that to someone so that they can be held accountable in that area of life. Give them the willingness and boldness to confess that to someone. And Jesus, lastly, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, and my desire as a Christian, our desire as a church is that they, whoever that person or those people are, would come to know you as Savior so that they would then see how good you are, how much you can transform a life, and how great your gospel is. In Jesus' name.